The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. We're in Matthew chapter 9, continuing to work our way through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 18 through to verse 38, the end of the chapter. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Let's keep the song we've just sung in our minds, the tender-hearted kindness of the Lord, as we come now to read of our Saviour's work. Matthew 9, verse 18, let's hear the word of God. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it, but... They went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons." And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, now we pray by the same Spirit through which Christ worked these miracles, that you would work in us, almighty God, that you would give us faith to receive your word, strength and love for our Savior, 
that we might behold him in all his wonderful, tender, kind, and compassionate person and work. Lord, we need you in an absolute sense. May we decrease, may you increase, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we see in this text the connection between sickness and sins continuing. We see the ravaging effects of the fall of man into sin through all these varied sicknesses. But we would have to say this theme that continues is a subplot, a subplot which exists in service to the dominant, the preeminent theme of the text. That is, Christ's response to sin and sickness. Christ's response to sin and sickness. That response, we read explicitly, is one of compassion. Our Savior saw the needs of his people and had compassion upon them. Remember the previous section that Pastor Ocken spoke on last week concerning fasting. Pastor Ocken rightly said that Christ has not come to patch up the old. He's not come to fix that, to, to make it continue working. Rather, he's come to bring something new. The new covenant, the kingdom of heaven, came to earth with Christ That's the new thing he came to do. And this is the kingdom of heaven breaking out in the lives of the people to whom Jesus ministered. This new covenant ministry, the ministry of Christ, the king of the kingdom of heaven, is revealed in its fullness here. And it's revealed principally through his compassion upon the people. His compassion is seen as he makes the sick whole and he forgives sinners. That's what's before us today, the compassion of our Lord. And I want to focus firstly on that idea, the compassion of our Lord, really in verse 36. So I'm going to the end of our passage to really speak of the governing thought of this section of Matthew's gospel, the governing thought really from verses 35 to 38, just by means of introduction. Then we'll look at the compassion of Christ in healing from verses 18 to verse 34, not 24 as my outline said, 18 to 34. And then we'll look once again at those last few verses, the compassion of Christ. The governing thought, what is it? It's really there in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them. What's going on in this section of Matthew's Gospel? Well, the context is everything. And the context, as we'll see later on in our final point, goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The commencement of Christ's ministry, we read these words. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And verse 23 of chapter 4 again, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The coming of the new covenant, the coming of the kingdom of heaven, was heralded by the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, and was accompanied by our Savior doing mighty works, signs, and 
wonders. That is to say, the shape and the character of the kingdom of heaven is the shape of preaching of the gospel, of the healing of those who are afflicted and oppressed. Christ came to change what was broken, to heal that which was broken. He didn't come to patch up the old covenant. He didn't come to to prop it up so the old could continue. He came to bring a new covenant and the kingdom of heaven to earth. How did he do that, we ask ourselves? Well, clearly through his incarnation, clearly through his death, his resurrection and then ascension, but the mechanisms by which he did it while on earth were preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. That's really the central message of this section. This is how Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven. He's building a spiritual kingdom, undoing the effects of the kingdom of this age. It's very important to understand that. And as we think on that reality of Christ building a kingdom, we are given an insight into the emotional life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really very important. The emotional life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We tend not to think this way of the Gospels. But if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, not only is our passage full of the emotion of our Lord Jesus Christ... All the Gospels are, in fact. In Matthew's Gospel alone, when we read in verse 36, he had compassion for them. We read of the idea of compassion three times in Matthew's Gospel. Here, in verse 36. Again, in chapter 14, where he sees the crowds, has compassion on them, and heals them. And then again, in chapter 15, he sees the crowds, knowing that they're hungry, has compassion upon them once again. That is to say, Matthew highlights the compassion of our Savior in the building of the kingdom of heaven. We know that the rulers of this age know little about the idea or the practice of compassion. For them, might is right, but not with our King, King Jesus. Listen to how the Scripture speaks of King Jesus, how he himself speaks of himself. He says he is gentle and lowly in heart. Scripture tells us he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses that he deals gently with the ignorant and wayward. It says that he will never cast out those who come to him. He was a friend, as we've seen, of tax collectors and sinners. That's our Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, is wrapped up then in the heart And the emotions, and I speak carefully there, of our triune God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a kingdom upon which we would do well to think in depth. If you're here today as a child of God and you struggle with your relationship with God, you feel that God is distant from you, that he's hard to please, hard to reach, or he thinks poorly of you, 
you need to hear this day the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that compassion in healing, in forgiving, in meeting, and as we've seen before, even eating with sinners. And if you're here, dear friend, estranged from God in unbelief, you need to hear of the beauty and the ease of this king and of this kingdom, a kingdom which you can be part of if you receive this compassionate savior. This is the agenda of the passage, the mission and the heart of the compassionate savior. Let's see that heart then in verses 18 to 34 going very, very briefly through the details, where we see the heart of Christ in healing. Now, clearly, there's many details, many fine details, that we could spend a single sermon on each one of these healings. That's not my intention. I want us to see the big picture. The big picture is through Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven is intruding into the darkness intruding into this evil and unbelieving age and overcoming it through the compassion of Christ. And the first event that we have before us in verse 18 following is the death of a little girl, the death of a young child. The ruler comes running to him, kneels before him in deference and honor with the plea that though she is dead, if you lay your hand upon her, she will live. He has faith in the Savior that the Savior can heal, but the response of Christ is immediate. We read this, he rose and followed He rose and followed. The news of the death of this little girl produced a decisive act in the compassionate Savior. Why is this? Well, consider what could be more contrary to the life and light of the kingdom of Christ than death? What could be more contrary to the agenda of our Lord Jesus Christ than a death, and especially, perhaps we might say, the death of a little one? We know that death and judgment is ultimately part of the agenda of Christ. Come judgment day, we will witness it. But his incarnation is principally about removal from judgment, the defeat of sin, the defeat of death, the healing of those that are sick. In other words, Christ's mission is diametrically opposed to death. Death is the wages of sin. Death is related to darkness. Death is related to judgment. And Christ came to defeat sin, to defeat sickness, to defeat death, and give life to those in his kingdom. And if, as we've read elsewhere, Christ is compassionate because he sees the leaderless, because he sees the sick, because he sees the hungry, how much more compassionate is our Savior going to be when faced by the death of a little one? It doesn't say he was compassionate here, but it would be preposterous for us to conclude otherwise. Of course, the compassion of Christ is worked within him. Christ's instant reaction to this news reveals two matters to us. It reveals his heart. His heart to the ruler who came in faith, his heart to the dead 
little girl, a heart of sympathy, of sorrow, a heart of blessed compassion. But it also reveals the character of the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom at this point which is not established by the principles of this world. It's not might is right. It's a a kingdom established by graces, by heart changes, by love. Friends, this is the very reason Christ came. He did not come, nor does he presently look upon his children in some sort of dispassionate way. Christ doesn't interact with people and heal with them as if he's moving pieces on a chessboard. Apologies to Art. And welcome back, by the way. It's not dispassionate. Jesus doesn't come along and heal uh, the, the, the young girl and then sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about things. No, Christ is coming to those who are united to him by faith. He's coming to those who are in a condition in which they were not originally made, but have inherited by sin. He's coming in love and tenderness, an eager desire to put right what is wrong, to straighten that which is crooked, to heal the sick, and to forgive sins. But while he's on the way to that little girl and he heals her down in verse uh, 25 and verse 26, he encounters another woman, a woman who has had an issue of blood for 12 years, making her ceremonially unclean, unable to enter the outer courts of the temple, an outcast. And this woman knows something about Christ also. She has insight into his power and into his person, and she knows if she can just touch the hem of his garment she will be healed such is her faith and she touches him and we read this in verse 22 jesus turned and seeing her said take heart daughter it's the first of a number of directional actions we read of christ more of that in a moment He turns and sees her and says, take heart, daughter. That is to say, Christ views this woman, this outcast, as existing in a familial relationship with him. A familial relationship. He is, as to her, a father, and she is to him a daughter. Is it not interesting? It's the second time we read of the word daughter in this passage. That's interesting. The first daughter had died. Christ's heart is moved within him. Now comes another one of Christ's daughters under him, in need, afflicted by this debilitating illness. Matthew Henry says, Christ calls her daughter, for he spoke to her with the tenderness of a father, as he did to the man sick of the palsy, verse 2, whom he called son. Note, Christ has comforts ready for the daughters of Zion that are of sorrowful spirit, as was Hannah, 1 Samuel 1. Believing women, writes Henry, are Christ's daughters, and he will own them as such. He will own them as such. And she is healed, and the little girl is healed. 
The text moves swiftly on, verse 27, and as Jesus passed on from there, he comes across two blind men, and they cry out to him, have mercy upon us, son of David. He goes into the house, the blind men follow him. Their plea is this, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on us. The compassionate heart is also a merciful heart, a heart which is willfully disposed to bringing peace to those who are troubled, and he heals them. He charges them, don't disclose this to anyone, but they disobey him. Calvin puts that down through inconsiderate zeal, that though they be of faith, They are, as it were, over the moon to be healed, and they can't but help to tell people. He heals them. Notice the response of the Pharisees. I'm not going to say any more than one line, verse 32, 34. The Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. That, friends, according to Luke 12, 10, is the unpardonable sin. To attribute the work of the Holy Spirit through whom Christ did his miracles, to Satan, the unpardonable sin. Again, he passes on from there into verse 32. I've got ahead of myself a little bit. He heals the demon-oppressed man. The demon-oppressed man comes to his, brought to him, and is mute. And Christ heals him. We're not told how he did it. We're just told that he did. We need to understand what's going on in the mind of Christ at this point. What's going on in the heart of Christ? We need to dig a little bit deeper, of course. The first thing that's going through the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, is revulsion. Christ undoubtedly is appalled that the servants of Satan have taken up residence in an image bearer, that these demons have entered this man. We can't not read this as a sterile account of just what happened. We need to think more about what our Lord sees. He sees one whom he has created and one whom he's about to heal, inhabited by wicked, evil, antichrist demons. But that revulsion leads to compassion. Think of your own experience, friends. Perhaps you've had a loved one who has been very sick, a child perhaps, and you wished at that time you could trade places with them. You would do anything to alleviate their suffering and that burden and take that illness from them. But ultimately you can't. And we feel helpless in those moments. We want to help, but we can't. But this Christ, dear friends, is not helpless. He is not impotent. His kingdom is not frail or weak. The blessings of that kingdom are not temporary or part-time. Neither is that kingdom a small and shrinking kingdom. Because our Lord in the final instance goes on to speak of the effects of this kingdom and how it will be spread throughout the world. 
Here we see the compassion of Christ once again. Notice Jesus' action in verse 35 really sets the scene for what he's been doing all the way since chapter 4. A little exercise now. All of you stay in Matthew chapter 9 and read in your Bibles verse 35. And I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. So you follow Matthew 9.35. I'll read Matthew 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Isn't that interesting? Almost word for word, we have two verses saying exactly the same thing. This is the bridge of which I was talking about earlier, which sets this whole section in the ministry of Christ in establishing the kingdom. How? By preaching, by teaching, and by healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. And in the midst of of this great pattern of kingdom building through preaching, teaching, and healing, we have a very clear statement about the heart of Christ. What was Christ thinking? What was he feeling, we might might even say, throughout this entire portion of his ministry? It's there in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's one of the underpinning emotions of our Lord. It's compassion in his earthly ministry of healing and preaching and teaching. It is compassion. And this compassion is directional. It's directional. When he saw the crowds, the second time we've read of Christ's seeing He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. He's gone to them. He's taught. He's preached. It is he who has gone to those who are needy. It's reflective most certainly of the direction of salvation. Salvation is from the Lord to us. But more than that, friends, it speaks of our Savior's continued desires to love, to care, and protect his own. The Greek word for compassion here is a strongly emotional verb. One commentator writes, no single English term does justice to it. For example, compassion, pity, sympathy, fellow feeling convey part of it, but his heart went out, perhaps represents most fully the emotion on show. It speaks to the underlying metaphor of a gut response. A gut response in our Lord. He saw something, he felt something, and that feeling led to action. He saw the predicament of the crowds, and his heart went out to them. He saw them harassed, He saw them helpless, like sheep without shepherds. There was a gut response within Christ, and this is not the only time we read of this kind of response in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
he saw their need. They were leaderless. The Jewish spiritual leaders were oppressors. The people were oppressed by sickness. The people were oppressed by demons. The people were oppressed by ignorance. And Christ's response, we're told, compassion. His heart went out to them. And it didn't stop there with just an emotion of the heart. It leads to an action that's an important part of this Greek word. What does he tell his disciples to do? What he tells his disciples is so important for us as Christians and us as the church. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He tells his disciples that there was and there remains most assuredly a harvest of souls. Souls that are sick, injured, oppressed, dwelling in sin, people who are lost. Jesus says they are plentiful. Many in this world who are lost. What were the disciples to do? They were to pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. What are we seeing? We're seeing the enacting of Christ's compassion. What do we call this? Ultimately, we call this the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's not some dry blueprint of evangelizing the world. It's the very heart of our Savior. Having had compassion upon the lost, he said to his disciples, pray. Pray that the Lord will raise up people to go out so that the compassion of Christ might be ministered to the four corners of this world. The great commission, the compassionate commission, the compassionate commission. That means, friends, something for us. We ought to be praying earnestly. We ought to be praying earnestly. Let me commend to you, friends, your daily prayers, your family prayers, uh, times of corporate prayer. Pray earnestly that the compassion of Christ might be made known throughout this world. Pray also that the Lord will move in all our hearts. That the witnessing that we are all to do and the evangelism that the church is to do might be ready within us. That we might be ready to give an answer to the hope that dwells within us. Yes, there are duties for us out of this passage. Prayer, prayer, earnest prayer, witnessing and evangelism. But the great takeaway here, I think, is not about what we are to do, though we are to do something. It is a great takeaway about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was compassionate. Christ was compassionate. We might think of ourselves as being rather uncompassionate towards the lost. And perhaps we're struggling in that very area. How do we fix our lack of compassion? Well, the answer, friends, is not to try and work ourselves up into some kind of artificial compassion. The answer is to study the compassionate Savior all the more. To see the compassion and heart of our Lord. 
Friends, do we see here the character of his entire ministry as being a character of compassion? Do we see the king of the kingdom as being compassionate? Do we see the kingdom of heaven as being a kingdom of compassion? Do compassionate thoughts feature in your thinking when you think of your blessed Savior? Some of us, I know, because we've talked about it, struggle to think of God in godly ways. Some struggle with the fatherhood of God. Some struggle to relate to Christ. Some think of God as a harsh schoolmaster who's constantly putting down on our report card D minus. There are some who think of God as one whose patience is running out. If you're without Christ here today, you ought to feel like that. You need to feel like that. You need to feel that the clock is ticking and the day of salvation is running out. Repent and believe and be received by this compassionate Savior. But rather, we ought to think, dear friends, we ought to think on the favor, the blessedness, the love, the tender care of our great God in heaven towards us who believe. Have you ever thought, friends, The last words that you hear from God every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening are like this. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Or we hear this, don't we? Now the Lord bless you. And keep you. Think on this that the Lord makes his face to shine upon you, that the Lord lifts up the light of his countenance upon you, dear Christian, and communicates grace. Those are the last words the Lord speaks to you Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Why? Because that's the heart of our God to you. It's the compassionate, tender, loving, protective, directing care that our Father in heaven affords to each one of us. It's the compassionate care of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.